I have to tell the people about the Patreon. Yes, you do. Patreon.com slash SMDB. SMDB, like so many damn books. For just a dollar, you can join up and you get access to all the exclusive content that I record just for the Patreon. Also, you get to join the book club. The So Many Damn Books book club. It's been some of the best conversations I've had about books. It really always sounds like a blast. I usually like come home and just hear like giggles coming from the library. So it's a great time. You should join. And I would love to have more people join the fray. You may or may not know that Christopher runs this whole show himself on the hosting side, on the technical side, everything. This is a one-man show, truly. He does it all. Support your boy Christopher. Even at the dollar level really helps. So uh, join up patreon.com slash smdb i'd love to have you patreon.com slash smdb on with the show oh my god i'm gonna start again okay so many so many so many damn books Hello and welcome to So Many Damn Books, a blessing, a curse, a podcast. My name is Christopher and I've got Brendan Slocum joining me in the damn library. I am so excited in the Zoom version of the damn library, I should say. Um, Brendan Slocum has lived many lives. As a violinist, he's performed with symphonies like Prince George's Philharmonic, the Alexandria Symphony, the McLean Symphony, and the Washington Metropolitan Symphony. He's also been named Teacher of the Year. He founded the nonprofit Hands Across the Sea, and he's written two novels, The Violin Conspiracy and the brand new Symphony of Secrets. Brendan, I'm so excited to have you on the show today. Thank you, Christopher. It's a pleasure to be here. I listened to the the Violin Conspiracy, and there was a moment in the book where he was playing a, a piece for his family, and I listened to the piece right afterwards, and I was just like, I was crying while I was walking home and it was just such a an emotional experience that you gave me and I just yeah, I'm really excited to have you on um <laughs> thank you <laughs> so I I was trying to think of what drink would go really well for, for for your work and there's so many different ways to go um but I thought something that um something fun in the in the in the making juice fun realm um so this is i'm calling this the slocum variations uh and this is it's tangerine blackberries rosemary and simple syrup and you muddle all those things together and then you add some simple um and then you just add seltzer and and um, ice on top it looks like this when you're finished um Mm. And I love the act of muddling things in the bottom of a glass, first of all. It's very tactile. It's a fun way to like get to know textures of fruits and everything. And I was thinking about how in your books, there's always this unexpected element. There's something under the surface, like the ticking clock of, of the violin or uh, the deep dives into music history in Symphony of Secrets. So I wanted the rosemary to kind of act like that It's as this thing it steeps in the drink while you enjoy it and then it and it brings this herbal note that develops as as you're sipping so Mm. that is uh that is the reasoning behind the slocum variations it's very fun to make at home and it's also a fun one to make your own variations of if you don't have blackberries use blueberries if you don't have a tangerine use an orange this is something that you can you can make at home very if you don't have rosemary thyme is also really fun in this so um yeah, it, it involves a lot of customizations, like your book. Well, I want to know what the drink tastes like. 
Oh, it's um, it's very citrusy with that herbal finish at the very end. You taste that rosemary. Mm, sounds good. Definitely going to try that. Are you um, drinking anything special while we record here? Um, just a bottle of sparkling ice. I'm not a drinker. You know, I, I just drink juice and water. Amazing. Well, <laughs> we are all set then to get into um, almost ready to talk about your book. But before we get there, I always love talking about what did you buy? <laughs> It's just such an insight in what people's reading lives are at this very moment or in their consumer lives at all. So, uh, Brendan Slocum, what did you buy? Have you have you purchased it or been sent anything wonderful recently? I have been sent so many things. I have a stack of books that I've been sent. Um, and I, I just got back home from I'm on, on tour right now and I just got back home for a couple of days. I got home last night. And um, there's a stack of books that I still have to read. But for uh, something that I bought, I am a huge comic book um, action figure guy. So I bought this Cyclops X-Men statue. That's amazing. I'm, I'm really excited about it. And I haven't even had a chance to admire it because I've been gone. So um, that's the thing that I bought for myself. I'm going to dive into those books as that first chance that I get. But um, yeah, that's the thing that I got from it. I'm a but you also guy. have Cyclops reading over your shoulder. Of course. Of course. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I can see um, you've got figurines all behind you here. Yeah, what, along with my stack of books. Yeah. Yeah. Stacks of books and, and figurines. <laughs> that is a fantastic um, <laughs> office. What franchises do you collect from other than X-Men? Um, anything Marvel, I do Marvel and DC and some image and I'm getting into anime stuff. I love one piece. I love my hero academia. Um, there's my Deku. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I, I, I love the, I mean, I love it. It's, it's good stuff. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in a little group that, that watches anime stuff whenever I'm home and, and it's, it's, it's fun. I love the action figures. It reminds me of a happy time and it makes me happy. So I do it. Oh yeah, I completely understand. I have, I I like to buy uh, Snoopy and Charlie Brown figures, so I oh, cool. completely get it. Yeah. So I purchased a couple of things, or got sent a couple of things that I'm really excited about. Um, I got Hannah Pittard's um, memoir, sort of called "We Are Too Many," mm. which is made up of conversations um, that are all about her divorce from her husband, mm -hmm. and um, and sort of rediscovering herself, and and also thinking about friendship because the person who her husband cheated with was her best friend Ooh. so it's a yeah it's a, a juicy sort of uh premise it's it's short because it's just conversations um mostly and so i'm very curious about it i really loved her fiction so i'm excited to see what her nonfiction is like um i also got hillary leichter's terrace story which is a novel it's coming out this summer it's about finding a terrace off of your cramped apartment um, that you didn't know was there before, uh, <laughs> which sounds like a dream, but of course it comes with hidden costs. Wow. And um, she was a guest on this show for her last novel, Temporary. Um, I'm so excited about this new novel uh, coming out in, in this summer. And then this just came out, um, The Last Animal by uh, Ramona Osabel about teenage sisters who are on a trip with their mom to the Arctic and they discover a 4,000-year-old baby mammoth together. Um, 
wow really fun but it's like literary fiction but it's got this great sort of speculative fiction sort of element to it very excited about these um i've got a long big huge stack of books to get into like i'm sure you you're very aware of the stack of books uh, my stack is growing ever larger daily uh, i'm gonna get to them <laughs> yeah of course <laughs> that's what we do eventually <laughs> One book that I got to and that I absolutely just loved was um, your new novel, Symphony of Secrets. Can you tell uh, my listeners what it's about if they're not familiar yet? All right. Thank you for saying that uh, you liked it, for starters. That's, that's great. Um, I'm, I'm still working on the elevator pitch to Symphony of Secrets. I haven't gotten it quite down to 20 seconds yet, but okay. forgive me. <laughs> um, Symphony of Secrets takes place in two timelines. In the past, America's most prolific composer, Frederick Delaney, he's bigger than Beethoven. Um, his long-lost opera, Red, is discovered. Um, but in the past, Delaney meets Josephine Reed, and they have a really interesting relationship. And in the present, Professor Bern Hendricks discovers this uh, long-lost opera, which is supposed to bring Delaney back to his heyday of his glory. And during his research, he discovers, hmm, this guy may not have written any of his music. And the foundation, the Delaney Foundation, who hired him to do the work, will stop at nothing to keep it a secret. Mm. Oh. <laughs> and that doesn't, I mean, and that just scratches the surface of that historical element underneath that I absolutely love that other timeline. I, I'm fascinated by the Tin Pan Alley songwriting era, which is when that part is set. And I'm just, I wanna know how you got into it and, and what made you wanna set, set a novel there or part of your novel there. I, I wanted something that was uniquely American. Um, you know, the, the jazz is an American uh, art form. It, it's strictly American. Um, everything else is comes from someplace else. But with jazz being uh, specifically American, I really wanted to focus on that. And the historical aspect really uh, was a wide open door from uh, copyright to publishing to, you know, just how musicians survived, how they made their money, how they made a living. Uh, it, it, I just found it fascinating. And I wanted to explore that that realm. And I, I learned a ton during my research. And I think the readers will learn a great deal too, things that they just had no idea about. Um, but it's not in one of those, okay, sit down so you can learn this lesson way. It's It's really kind of a subtle lesson that goes along with it. Oh yeah, I mean it's tied so much to plot and and people desperate to make a, a dollar. So when they get to sell their song for ten dollars, oh my <laughs> gosh, um, I absolutely feel, felt those wins um, with along with the characters. This is your second novel. Uh, and it, but it, and it feels very connected to your first novel in some ways, in partially just because it's, it's very much its own thing, even though it's just both about music. Um, they're about very different types of music. And the first novel, it's all pieces that exist. Like I was saying, like I could listen to that piece as soon as um, you mentioned it. And mm -hmm. I loved doing that throughout as finding those pieces and listening to what he was playing on the violin. 
but this is completely almost almost completely made up all of the music that you're referencing can you talk about moving into the realm of fictitious music yeah um that is a blessing and a curse because people have said to me where's the playlist for symphony of secrets <laughs> and i'm like you know i haven't written any of this music it is <laughs> all just completely fictionalized and um that i figured that would be a really easy thing to do would be super easy to just kind of make up these song titles and make up some lyrics and um you know if for for people who have seen the movie the usual suspects um which is a great movie uh, i recommend watching that to to get an understanding of how i came up with with all of the the, the song titles i kaiser so said everything every title is kaiser so said totally and um people kind of get a little bit out of shape because they they feel like these are real pieces of music and they want to hear them and you know, in in retrospect, when I go back and read, I'm like, wow, they, you know, some of the lyrics are, you know, they're kind of catchy. And these song titles really make you want to uh, actually listen to what it is that, that Josephine and Freddie are hearing. But uh, unfortunately, we can't do that. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but was it freeing to be making up your own stuff, though? When like before you had to face uh, somebody telling you that, <laughs> hey, where is this? Um, was it fun to be making things up? It, it actually was because Josephine came up. She was so good at so many different types of, of genres of music. And, you know, there were dance hall tunes and symphonies and waltzes and songs and just everything. So that was a lot of fun. I, I wasn't restricted to one specific way of, okay, well, it's all got to be a symphony movement or a symphony name or just a song title. It was it was a lot of fun to be able to uh, just really, you know, I, I totally got to expand what it was that I was thinking about in her head. So she was super multifaceted. She's such a, a fascinating character. So, so much fun to read. And I was really interested in sort of this um, sort of funhouse mirror image that you were creating with Josephine Reed and Frederick Delaney's um, partnership or, or parasitic relationship versus <laughs> uh, Bern Hendricks and Ebony, who seem like they're so supportive of one another and so helpful. Were you playing with that? What, what was at the base of that for you? I'm I'm gonna push back just a little bit on the uh, Freddie and Josephine relationship. Um, I like Freddie. I <laughs> absolutely like Freddie. He is a totally likable guy, and I, I I wouldn't call their relationship in the beginning. I'll say in the beginning it was a very loving, friendly relationship, and I truly believe that they both had love for each other. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's it's one of those things where it's all about the choices that we make. And, you know, sometimes we make choices based on good intentions. And I, I think the intentions were always good, but the choices just, you know, fell short of those good intentions sometimes. Um, and in terms of Byrne and Ebony, you know, they they'd known each other for a long time and, and they they knew each other well and they worked together well. And I think that uh, Byrne had a newfound respect for Ebony. He knew just how brilliant she was, but because they were working so closely together uh, in the situation that they're in, um, they had a newfound respect for each other, I do believe. It's interesting that you you push back on that um, because I I did love the start, even though I, <laughs> I of, of their 
partnership, really. I mean, like it really felt like there would be none, no, none of her music without him like pushing her and asking for different things and saying like, well, you need to do something, something else here. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I thought that that was so interesting that you were going to take that relationship and, and I knew it couldn't last. Like it felt like <laughs> it, it felt like you were going to have to twist that um, somehow. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it could have gone several ways, you know, it really could have gone several ways, but you have to take into account the time period, you know, with Josephine being a black woman, there was only so many things that she could do, only so many places that she could go. Um, and people were really reluctant to buy music from from black people. So, you know, Freddie had that going against him, as did Josephine. And I, I really do think that he was on her side. It was just a matter of the choices that he made when he made them, you know, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And I think that is so apparent in this, in this story. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I, 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 there's in Freddie's defense, if he needs a defense in his defense, <laughs> I truly believe that he had the best of intentions for mm -hmm. Josephine. <laughs> it, it seems like there isn't um, for, for both of these novels that you've written so far, there's like, great pure intention of musicality and then there's something pulling back against that mm -hmm. um it, it, is that something that you are pulling from real life experience with the world or is that more of of something that you felt like you could add um to your experience with uh, the classical music milieu that's a great question i i think it's a combination i really feel like a lot of my uh, experiences come from yeah, I, I like to, to to put them in stories because as a black musician, I've gone through things that other musicians have not. And there are a lot of people that look just like me that have the exact same experiences. So in order to get people to really, really see what's going on and see what we've been through, I mean, you've got to kind of, you've got to make it bold and, and right out front. And um, in, in terms of expanding how, the, how much the pushback happens, um, I think that that adds for a really good uh, plot element. I think it, it it ramps up the stakes and uh, it, it just makes for good reading. It's really entertaining. Yeah, I mean, I'll <laughs> agree with that. It, it's extremely, I mean, Violin Conspiracy, I describe it as, and I've seen other people describe it as being sort of similar to The Queen's Gambit by William Tevis, that it has that element of just someone getting really good at their craft. Mm -hmm. But that's not all you did. You could have stopped there with someone getting really good at violin, but no, there was a, that further extra thriller element. Will you do me a favor and talk about the thriller genre? Because it seems like you're coming at this as a fan. I am a fan of thrillers. I love to read thrillers. I love to watch thrillers. Um, and and I, I'm, I'm a fan first. And I really want to, in the writing, I want people to be entertained. And, you know, for fans of Thriller, it's if you're going to be if it's going to grab you, I want it to grab you and I want it to be a page turner. And as I'm writing, I want it to be I cannot wait to get to this next paragraph. I got to know what happens. And I feel like if that's the uh, air that I'm getting, then that the readers are definitely going to get that. And I just I want people to be entertained. And it, it's it's amazing how some of these things, some of these elements just kind of come out themselves and my my characters really push the story for me um I, i've been asked you know do you 
plot uh, story around the characters or vice versa. And it always starts with the characters for me. If they're an interesting, if they have an interesting story, it's going to move itself along. And, um, you know, I just, I just want it to be super entertaining and the more expansive, the better without going overboard. I want to push it right up to the edge. I love that. (laughs) I'm thinking about how violent conspiracy comes out. And I just thought it was like this incredible, like it felt like, it'd been inside you for a long time. Like it felt like it was something that you were writing in your head for so long. And then Symphony of Secrets booms directly <laughs> after. I mean, it feels like another novel that you, has you has been in your head for a really long time. Is that accurate? You're halfway right. Uh, you got 50% of that one. Uh, the Violin Conspiracy, you know, I've been, I've been carrying those stories around since I was nine years old, since the first day I picked up a violin. So it was significantly easier for me to write because I, I didn't intend to teach a lesson. I didn't intend to, you know, do this whole commentary on on race relations and classical music. And I had none of that was my intention. I just wanted to write my story. And it just so happens that all of these other elements happen to kick in. Um, you know, the mystery element, the thriller element, the theft, everything just kind of kind of made it, it was just a perfect combination. Um, but with Symphony of Secrets, believe it or not, I struggled, man, I struggled with this one. Um, I, I talked to a lot of seasoned authors and they all said the same thing. That second book is tough. That sophomore novel is just what it is. It's a sophomore novel. And, you know, when I wrote it, I I thought that people were going to have expectations of the violent conspiracy too. So I just felt like I was letting a lot of people down and I just did not, I was not into it at all. And I didn't read it after I finished it. I didn't read it for like six months and I didn't think about it. I didn't nothing. And then uh, be, right before it was time to turn it in, I read it cover to cover and I was, I couldn't believe it. I was like, Whoa, did I write this? I love this story. <laughs> this is awesome. I'm digging this. What happens? What? Ha- oh, wait a minute. I know what happens. I wrote this. Um, but I saw it with fresh eyes and and it made sense to me. It totally made sense. And I think I just needed to step away from it. But it, I, I love it. I absolutely adore this book. Well, I, I loved it too. And it felt like you were sort of saying like, I can do things that aren't just talking about violence. There's isn't a violin in this one as far as right. I <laughs> as I remember. (laughs) Is there something that novels do that music can't? What a great question. Um, I think, wow. You know, to me, it's all art uh, in terms of music. It's one form of art. You can be transported with a piece of music. You can absolutely hear the same piece of music 10 times and you can get 10 totally different interpretations. It could take you to 10 different places. With a novel, you can read it 10 times and sometimes depending on the time of day or where you are, it can transport you a little bit. You'll get something different or you'll catch something that you missed. Um, and in the terms of an audiobook, uh, when I listened to the audiobook version of The Violent Conspiracy, I mean, it was like a totally different story to me. So I do believe that um, they're they're one they're they're equal. You get equal um, 
I don't know what the word is. You, fulfillment? You, you, fulfillment. Let's go with that. Totally. You you really do. Every time you read or listen to something, it's you're going to catch something different every single time. So I think in, in both uh, both mediums, I think it's, it's fantastic. It's all art. It's all interconnected. And it's always going to have a, a different effect. How does your training as a violinist help you as a writer? It actually helps immensely. Uh, the discipline the creativity the creative aspect the the pushing the boundary aspect um pacing when i was uh writing you know i i am super disciplined with my practicing you know i practiced for three and a half hours every single day when i was in college learning violin and it's nothing for me you know i sit down at a two-hour rehearsal weekly and it's no big deal for me to sit down and write regularly i write until I finish. I don't take like two weeks off and then go back to the story. I write straight through. So if I'm starting on a next, my next novel, which I'm actually starting on in May, um, I write until I'm done. I'm not going to stop until I'm totally finished. And that discipline comes from my musicality. And I also structure everything in terms of music. It just makes sense to me. You know, you have an overture, you have an uh, introduction, you have a middle section, you have the finale. And that's how I like to structure everything when I write. And, and it makes, it just makes perfect sense to me. So how did this practice start? I mean, what, how did you decide, <laughs> like, it was time to finally write this novel that was brewing in you when you were nine and build the practice to be a writer? I, I actually got asked that question not too long ago. And uh, I was asked if, COVID-19 had not happened, would I have written The Violent oh. Conspiracy? And the answer is yes, I definitely would have done it, but COVID provided the opportunity as a working musician, everything stopped for me. So I had nothing but time. So I, you know, I applied myself and uh, this story would have gotten written, but um, it wouldn't have been written probably for another couple of years were it not for COVID. So mm. It would have happened, but I'm, I'm, I'm happy. That's one good thing that did come out of COVID. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like we're, we're finally seeing, um, you know, uh, the fruit of what people started finally got the space to work on, mm -hmm. you know, in 2023, I feel like we're seeing a lot of projects, uh, that were written during lockdown. Uh, mm -hmm. the first ones are sort of coming out and I think it's a, an interesting time for, for culture in that way. In Symphony of Secrets, I felt like that there was a sort of ode to archives and ode to research. Uh, Burns project where he's tra transcribing Red. Is that a real world sort of project? Can you talk about this um, archive world of, of music that you that part of Symphony of Secrets is based in? Yes. Um, Burn being a musicologist, well, first, uh, when when I decided to make him a musicologist, I was really I was concerned because I don't know a great deal about musicology. And I actually uh, when when I was uh, touring for the violin conspiracy, I met a musicologist and she was like, I'm so excited that your next book is about a musicologist. You have no <laughs> idea. And I am like, oh, my gosh, I got to make sure that this is right. I have to be accurate with this. So, I mean, I, I did research. I did a lot of research on what musicologists do. And um, their their field is so vast. They can cover so many different areas of music. 
and um, with Burns' um, opportunity to authenticate this score, yeah, uh, it it when I I checked with my friend Kate, who's a musicologist, she's like, yeah, you nailed it. This is exactly what we do. I was like, oh, thank you. <laughs> okay, all right. Disaster avoided. <laughs> so it really exists. Like the, there's people that are like trying to see from old th- older pieces, like piecing together mm-hmm. sort of um, archaeologically these these old pieces. Right. Like there could be a piece of music that was quote unquote discovered. And you would say uh, one musicologist would say, I think this is a piece written by Haydn. And so you would find a musicologist or an expert who um, specializes in Haydn. They would, you know, analyze the the pen strokes. They would analyze the composition itself. You know, the paper that it was written on, just everything, every aspect of it, they would have to authenticate before they could say, yes, absolutely. This is a piece written by Joseph Haydn. That was one of my absolute favorite moments in the book, actually. Um, it's early on when Byrne is just getting his first chance to be around the manuscript for the first time he's just so giddily excited about it and i was completely there with him i was just like yeah this is so, ooh, so exciting another thing that i can't stop thinking about since i read it was the alternative musical notation um, mm-hmm. that josephine reed uses and it made me think about all sorts of that all sorts of ways that people must have had musical notation before they there was a standard or mm-hmm. or if they don't know how to use the standard at all um can you talk about creating her her system and and what it looks like in your head absolutely i this is one of those things that's not my area of expertise as well so i uh contacted one of my, the, my violin professor i contacted her husband who is a genius he's just a genius dr hao huang and he sent me pages and pages and pages of annotations that different mm. composers would use and it was mind-blowing you would see i mean i saw things that looked like uh, mistakes you know just scribbles on a page to really intricate designs to things that looked like a fourth grade project to things it, just anything that you could possibly imagine and knowing that these composers this is what they use they it makes perfect sense to them it makes perfect sense. And, you know, it, it's a true example of, you know, one size does not fit all. Not everything can be done the same way, but it all comes out beautifully. And I just thought that that was fascinating. And with with Josephine, because she could hear and see so many sounds and colors and everything in everyday life, you know, a bird singing or footsteps down the sidewalk, a horn blowing, you know, a, a, a water hose squirting, just everything. Um, and so she would need a really intricate system to uh, manage all of these tones and sounds and everything. So it, it was great to be able to just create an, an entirely different uh, way of her composing everything. And, you know, it's it's how she sees the world and it doesn't have to make sense to anyone but her. So that was a, actually a lot of fun to do. Yeah, it, it made me think. Um and I'm sorry if you didn't mean for this to me, but there was um, <laughs> that scene in a beautiful mind when he's talking about like um, when he has all of his notations for pigeons moving mm-hmm. on a glass that he's been drawing in chalk. I was like, Oh, it's, I bet you a part of her notation looks something, uh, <laughs> something like that. What were the challenges of depicting a bygone era for you writing a historical novel um or partially historical novel were were there interesting challenges there 
Oh, 100%. Um, a lot of the research that I did was was not only uh, location, but also attire for the period, for the time period, food for the time period, um, language for the time period. I'm just being able to, you know, what, what, how did these people speak? And I mean, I just pages and pages and pages on the internet opened of, you know, dialogue from the twenties and, you know, what, what would people, a typical family eat during this time? And, you know, how would they cook it? What were, you know, the utensils like, what were the shoes like, you know, in just all of that stuff, it was, um, it was a lot more intensive than I thought it would be because, you know, you 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 kind of take for granted that we just, you know, you go to you put your jeans on and you throw a shirt on and you're good to go. But oh, no, 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 no. It was much more, um, much more involved than just uh, throwing on jeans and a T-shirt. I really had to make sure I wanted it to be accurate. I know when I'm reading anything, if there's inaccuracies, it drives me bananas, especially if it's anything music related being a musician okay that drives me that's this person they either slacked on doing their research or they just don't know anything about it um so <laughs> i did not want that to be the case um i wanted a, a total sense of authenticity so i really really dug deep into everything from that time period you know the types of music the the, the weather the places that they would mm -hmm. inhabit you know could josephine go into a place like this were there mixed clubs that they could both go to with Freddie being white and Josephine being black, everything. And um, yeah, that was a ton of research and hopefully it came through being accurate. I was mentioning the um, references that you uh, made in the last novel that were all the real songs. Um, and this one, there were a couple references to real world things. One of them was um, Geppetto's Wood, which... <laughs> Uh, I, I, I Google all of these things. I want to find the music and, uh, that's your band. Um, it turns out. <laughs> yes. So you exist in the, um, universe of your, of Symphony of Secrets, which I think is great. Um, but I noticed that your band hasn't put out, uh, music in a while. How, how's Geppetto's Wood doing? Um, theoretically, we are great. I actually <laughs> got with the guys uh, almost uh, this past summer. I, I um, one of the band members is in he lives in Los Angeles now. And uh, uh, the drummer was actually in Los Angeles at the same time. So the guitarist, the drummer and me, we went to a studio and we we just we had a great time because this is post pandemic and we're all together again. And, you know, when, when the pandemic kicked in, it just kind of wrecked everything for live music. And, you know, I'm still writing songs and, and they're, the guys are still playing. And as soon as things work out and I'm, I'm so busy touring and everything is going on, as soon as things calm down a bit, we're definitely going to um, be back uh, creating music for the world to hear, but we are actually on, what is the site that we're on? We are on um, Reverb Nation, if anybody is uh, into that. And we're ReverbNation.com slash GotWood, G-O-T-W-U-D. <laughs> well, and I'll link to that on the show page too. So you can go to so many damnbooks.com and, and, and click over to that um, from this episode page if you want to find it that way. Lots of ways to find this music. Now that you've been in the literary world for a while, um, how does it, I mean, post post lockdown literary world but literary world nonetheless how does it feel versus um the music world oh 
Uh, I feel like I am so deeply immersed in the literary world right now. Um, and and the, the music world for me, it's always going to be there, always. I am a musician first and I practice whenever I can and I play chamber music whenever I can. But, you know, it's difficult with, with the travel. Um, and I'm actually playing in a recital and I'm conducting on a recital on January 24th. So um, it, I'm getting my music stuff in as much as I can. And the literary stuff, I am still a novice. And I'm learning so much from all of the people that I'm meeting. I'm, I'm meeting such incredible authors, people that I have loved their work. And uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm on the same stage with, with Pulitzer Prize winners. And it's insane. It's like, why am I in the same category with you? I should be way over there and you should be having the stage to yourself. And um, I just <laughs> the, the people that I've met are incredible. And I'm learning so much from so many different people just... Um, it's 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 amazing. It's absolutely amazing, and I'm having the time of my life. That's lo lovely. I'm so glad to hear it. H has your reading life changed? Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Um, I used to only read during the summer. I was a classroom teacher for 20 plus years, and I would only read during the summer because that's the only chance that I got to read uninterrupted. So I'd have a stack of 10, 15 books that I was going to read during the summer. And now I am tasked with not only touring, but writing and 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 speaking to people and, and going places. And I still have to try to squeeze books in. You know, people ask me to read, oh, can you read this and give me a blurb on this? And, mm -hmm. oh, you need to read, read this uh, for our upcoming, you know, and I'm just like, when am I supposed to do this? Like, I've got a stack on my bookshelf over here that I've not gotten to yet. And I, uh, you know. I'm I'm trying. I'm working. I don't know how these people do it, but I'm working on it. <laughs> I think that you're you're um, getting closer to a dirty secret that no one reads each other's books. Um, maybe, <laughs> who knows? Uh, you brought to me a really interesting book that I would never have read um, without you putting it across my desk: Ozark Dogs by Eli Craner. And I'd love to hear how you came across this writer and how you recommended this book to me. Eli Craner, Ozark Dogs. When I tell you this guy is phenomenal. Eli and I were on a panel, our very first panel together uh, back in 2020, November of 2020. I think it was 2020. Yeah or 2021, I don't know, it was a long time ago. And we're, we're sitting on this panel together and it's via Zoom and uh, his book, Don't Know Tough, you know, I'm hearing about it for the first time and he's hearing about the violent conspiracy for the first time. And, you know, we had an opportunity to read each other's books before this um, interview. And, you know, we just kind of hit it off. And 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 I, I just was really impressed by him. And, and he says the same thing about me, but I don't know. I think he was just being nice. And um, we met for the first time in person over at the uh, Mississippi Book Festival in Jackson this past year. And I mean, we just hit it off. We were, you know, we were following each other's careers and supporting each other because we feel like, you know, we came into this thing together. Uh, we both were debut novelists at the same time. And I, at, well, one, he's a fantastic dude. He's a great, great, great guy. Um, he's a phenomenal speaker. Just he, tr when he reads his stuff, you feel like you are just in the story and it's amazing. And I'm always learning from him. 
And uh, his writing is just so vivid. I love his characters. I love his storytelling aspect. And with the book Ozark Dogs, I was reading it on a plane. And I'm not even kidding. I got to one section and I audibly gasped. I went, <gasps> and people are looking around at me. And like, I was like, no, 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 this book is really good. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm just really, really impressed by him. Not only is he a great writer, but he's a really good friend of mine. Wow. Okay. That, that's awesome. That's so cool that you met through this, um, like, you know, like coming in through this, both of you having your um, first panel together. Um, yeah. I feel like that's like sort of, that is a nice, then a nice bonding moment. Absolutely. And, and Ozark Dogs is, I mean, it's like when people talk muscular writing, <laughs> you know, I feel like that's what Eli Craner is doing. Mm -hmm. um, and this is a, this is a sort of very straightforward sort of plot, actually. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a really, it's like one truly bad night. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Eli described it. I got to hear him speak in Baltimore a couple of weeks ago and he really described it as a fable. And if you, I mean, it, it totally is. It's, it's just, I mean, it, it, the story is just phenomenally done and I loved every word of it. Uh, it, it starts in this, like a homemade armory, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and I was thinking like, this is, this is like Chekhov's armory. Like, I just feel like this is like, I know, <laughs> That where we're headed, that there, that guns are are going to be used, um, and one of the big engines is this sort of interesting. Um, I, I would say toxic masculinity mom, uh, grandfather character, who's the mm -hmm. who's a, <laughs> who's a point of view character who is just you're following his struggle as he's trying to deal with the fact that his uh, granddaughter, who he's been taking care of while. Um, her parents are well that's part of the fun of the book is finding out what happened to them mm -hmm. uh i put fun in quotes but everyone knows what i mean by fun uh while reading but the it's it's him sort of coming to terms with the fact that she's not her, the little girl that he was taking care of right uh, and, and and that's a, a big long part portion of the book is really him just trying to figure out what is his role now that she's mm -hmm. older um, yeah. How did how did that land for you? Exactly the way you said it. It was, you know, she's not a little girl. She's actually becoming a woman. And, you know, she's got grandpa's, um, his, his way of thinking and him being a man. And it's just like, okay, I can teach her only so much about what it's supposed to be to be a woman. I can only do so much. And like you mentioned, he's, he's coming to terms with that. He realizes that she needs more than what I can provide for her. And, you know, there are things that are going to happen that I have zero control over. And just, it, it's it's a, a lack of control, I think, that people really drives people in this story. Everybody wants to be in control, but no one really is. And um, I just, I mean, I love this story. I love it, I love it, I love it. I'm gonna reread it. I just thought it was great. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, it's Joe, I, I was so in love with the Joanna chapters. I thought that mm -hmm. the way that he captured her, was just she just lit up the page and i just wanted more of her every time because she just was like i don't know she felt sort of so so singular to me like i hadn't met a character mm -hmm. like her um, yeah yet. she she really felt real i was like who wow like do you know this girl who is she like how did you do, it's it's amazing and just everything the revelations that happened in the story i just what it, <laughs> i don't know it was it was shocking to me just ah. Uh. 
So you read this book though, having already been been become his friend. Yes. Okay. So how does it feel reading the novel of a friend of yours that you're already you already know you like him and and are you just are you tense about how you're going to receive it? Um, no, believe it or not, um, Eli and I are very honest with each other. Uh, I let him read Symphony of Secrets. He, he was the second person I let read it. And, and I, I asked him to be brutally honest, you know, just just tell me I, I need to know. Um, and, and I think he expects the same thing for me. And I don't read it. I don't read someone's manuscript as a friend. I just read it as a story. It doesn't matter who wrote it. If it's a good story, it's a good story. If it's not well done, it's not well done. And I would never want to say to someone who I care about, oh, this is great when it's not. Um, and that goes back to my musical training, uh, just being able to take critique and criticism. You know, my teachers have said to me, Brendan, this wasn't good. You need to do this to make it better. And that's what I want. And I think that anyone worth their salt would want that as well you don't want to put out garbage and you don't want to be known as the person who said this was good when it was really trash, you know? And, and uh, I think we have the type of relationship that he's always going to be honest with me and I will absolutely do the same with him. Hmm. That's so cool that you found that from, from your very first oh, panel. Yeah. Oh yeah. Great guy. I mean, I think it was, it was just fate. It just, it was supposed to happen. And you know, we're, we're like this now. It's, it's good stuff. That's so cool. <laughs> Um, it really seems like the literary world has like opened up its arms and said like, come on in, which is like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a good way of putting it. I feel that way. And and I just feel so welcome. And I can't believe every day I pinch myself, just the amount of support and outpouring of, of, of just support that I'm getting from so many different people. It's incredible. And I literally stop whatever I'm doing. And I go, I just cannot believe this is happening. I can't believe this is my life now. I can't believe this is me. Um, <laughs> so I'm I, every single day and I'm, I'm just, I'm truly, truly grateful for it. Wow. Well, it's inspiring. I got to say that. I think there's so much to recommend about Eli Craner's work, especially his, um, I, I listened to his book as well. Mm -hmm. And boy, what an impressive oh, yeah. narrator. He read it himself. Um, and I just think that is always impressive when you can do that and do it extremely well. Like he's got voices, he's doing characters, he's doing a whole performance. It is not just someone reading their book. Oh yeah. And I've, I've learned uh, every time I go to, to see him speak right here, I learned so much from him. He will take over a room the moment he opens his mouth. And I'm just like, how do you do that? <laughs> I, I'm learning. I'm learning from him. That, is it making you want to read your own next yeah, uh, actually, audiobook. yeah. He he recommended me. He was like, he calls me B. He was like, B, you need to do this. You need to do your own. I did mine. I'm like, all right, dude. Okay. He's like, you got the voice for it. I'm like, all right, all right, all right, all right. Okay, I'll I'll try it. I'm 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 considering doing uh, my third one. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> I will say that everyone I know who's tried it has said never again. So. <laughs> <laughs> that they were they were surprised at how difficult it was, which is uh, which makes sense to me. I mean, I think that you've got one way of thinking how you'd read something aloud, but doing it many many times over and over to get good sound and everything, I feel like that's probably a different feeling. Yeah, yeah, I'm thinking so. I I might not know what I'm getting into, but uh, there's only one way to find out, right? Well, and truly, you know, like you said, you're used to grinding out and practicing, so I feel like you'd be you're you, uh, and you're no stranger to a studio. Right, right. Like, you know, I've, I've recorded a few songs. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
I would love to hear what else you recommend, be it books, music, anything you've come into contact with recently that you can recommend to the listeners to enrich their lives. Um, okay. I also met a, a good, another person that I consider a friend, Mr. David Yoon. And if you have not picked up city of orange, um, I've not dived into this yet, but he and I were on a panel together in Miami and just listening to the premise for the book. I'm like, all right, this is right up my alley. I'm, I'm totally looking forward to reading that. Um, and I do have a stack literally this high. And I feel like if I name a couple, I'm going to leave some people out and I don't want to do that. Um, but music wise, I'm just going to tell you guys, listen to something classical or something that you've not heard before. Expand your, your listening repertoire. Um, and if you're not a fan of classical music, I would recommend starting with Vivaldi's Four Seasons. You can't go wrong. It's it's one of the most recorded pieces of classical music in history. Um, there's the, the reason for it, because it's a great piece of music and it's easy listening. Mm -hmm. if, if someone's further along in their classical music journey mm -hmm. and wants something more intermediate, what would you recommend? Intermediate. Um, I'm going to go with symphonies. If you're going to do a symphony, maybe a Haydn symphony, one of his later symphonies, maybe 99 through 104, any of those. They're, they're relatively short and they're nice pieces of music. Or if you're into the big, bold, romantic music, I'm a little biased, but my favorite composer is Antonin Dvorak. Um, listen to, and, and I know people are going to say, oh, number nine, the New World Symphony, completely overdone. Don't. You want to hear one of his good symphonies, his best symphony, in my opinion, symphony number eight is is his best, absolute best piece of work. And if you want, I'm not, I'm to a big bombastic symphony, listen to the Dvorak String Serenade. It, it takes you on a ride emotionally everywhere. It's happy. It's sad. It's fast. It's, it's everything. It's, it's as close to a perfect piece of music as can be. Wow. Wow. I'm definitely going to check that out. Absolutely. As soon as we're done here, actually, that sounds great. <laughs> um, I, um, I'm going to recommend a book for everyone to check out in the thriller genre, uh, but a, a different sort of take on it. It's called fantastic land. Uh, by Mike Bokovin. And the idea is it's this Florida mega theme park um, on the in the same realm as Disneyland or Disney World or, um, you know, Harry Potter Adventure, that sort of thing. But uh, it's about what happens when a hurricane hits and cuts the park off from any sort of aid or power. And all of the employees of the different themed areas become tribes basically as they start to ritualistically murder one another really fun sort of um really great setting for a book and it's told in this um oral history sort of going over what happened after the fact type of way you know, a lot of different voices. And it reminds me of um, the uh, World War Z by Max Brooks. Really fun, like deep into the theme park lore too, which is sort of fun. Um, nice. Highly recommend it. Um, it seems like it'd be, if you're on a thriller press right now, um, definitely check that one out. And along with all my normal recommendations, of course, I recommend 
going to patreon.com slash smdb and pledging some money even at a dollar you get all these extra little episodes that i do with folks that are just for the patreon people i don't post them anywhere they're never going to reach this feed i don't think probably not or you can uh, go to so many damn books on itunes and give me a review either way these are things that really help the show and definitely go buy symphony of secrets it is such a fantastic ride if you haven't um if this podcast hasn't convinced you to check it out truly it's a wonderful ride if you've already read violence conspiracy um or if you haven't i I think symphony of secrets is a great place to start but read them both because they're really two of my absolute most exciting reads that i've i've experienced uh recently so thank you so much brendan and thank you for hanging out on so many damn books it's been wonderful to have you this has been a lot of fun thank you christopher